strength. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 27 this morning. We are praying in these days the promise from Jeremiah 31 and verse 25 where God said, I have satiated, I have satisfied the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. We're asking God for a time of renewal, time of refreshing in our lives, a time, as we saw last week, a time um, of new beginnings. And I believe that God is doing that work in many people's lives. I talked to a number of folks over this past week, and God is bringing a new beginning in their lives, and we praise Him for it. I want to preach to you this morning on a renewed hope, how to hold on to hope when hope has been taken away. There are times, let me just clarify when I say hope, uh, there are times, you know this, when we use the word hope in a sense of there's something that's positive that we would like to see happen, but we're really not sure whether it will or not. Some of us were hoping that our power did not go out this week, and um, some of us were more or less efficient in that hope. Um, but when we come to the Word of God, our hope is a steadfast assurance, a faith-based assurance for example, we sang a little bit ago when we sang, It is well with my soul. Um, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. When the Lord shall descend, faith will be sight. The Bible describes that as our blessed hope. It doesn't mean that that's something positive that we think might happen in the future, but we're really not sure about it. It is a faith-based assurance that gives us hope for the future. So when we talk about hope, there are there is a hope that can be taken away, and at times, I believe, should be taken away because our hope is in the wrong thing. And God will sometimes put us into situations where we are left with nothing else but for our hope to be based in Him. And I've not enjoyed those experiences, but I can tell you the times that I've been through them that have come out on the other side with a stronger faith and trust in God. And my hope in the things of this world is gone because I found out that there is no hope in the things of this world. There is no confidence. People are basing their hope for the future on the things of this world, and it brings no hope. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 27 this morning. I want to just begin reading in verse 13. I'm not going to read the entire text of the whole chapter to get the story, but we'll fill in some places as we go. In verse 14, not long after there arose against it, against the ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. And when the ship was called and could not bear up under the wind, into the wind, we let her drive, and running under a certain island, which is called Calda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up the boat that was alongside the ship and was part of the, part of the um, equipment for the ship, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, struck the sail, and so were driven." And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. This incident, this scene in the life of Paul is the moment when he is on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. He has gone to Jerusalem. He has been accused by the Jewish leaders there. There was an attempt on his life. The Romans rescue him. He then stands before the Roman governor accused of sedition and various crimes. And so he pleads his case. 
And at the last moment, he uses his Roman citizenship and he appeals to Caesar. Every Roman citizen has the right to stand trial. We in our day have the right to trial by a jury of our peers. And so they had the right to appeal to Caesar if they felt like they were being treated unjustly. Paul is a is a Jew, but because of his citizenship in the city of Tarsus, born in the city of Tarsus, he also has a Roman citizenship. And so he pleads that, and he says, I would appeal to Caesar. And the governor says, I was about to let you go, but since you've appealed to Caesar, I have to send you to Caesar. And so at the beginning of this account, he puts him on the ship, and he puts him in the authority of a centurion, and he sends him to Rome across the Mediterranean Sea, for his trial. As they enter into this trial, the storm comes up, and this storm is it's so common and so um, renowned that it has its own name. You know, we name the storms that come through. We had Hurricane Ian that just came through, and there's sometimes some different names, and we're all sitting here hoping that the worst ones aren't in our name so that it's always remembered under our name. And this name is not one that's just a one-time name. This is a name that this storm comes up so much that they have given it its own name, Eurachlidon. I used to say when I was a kid that clearly it was some kind of a redneck that had named this storm because he saw a friend surviving the storm and he says, you rock, Lidon. I know, that's so terrible. I apologize in advance for the few people that gave a pity laugh. But this storm has its own name, and this storm comes up, and as this storm happens, you begin to see things go from bad to worse. Ever been there in your life? Ever had those moments when it started, something started, and it went to this next little bit, and, this, and you tried this, and you tried this, and you went to... You gave this solution and somebody that knew what they were talking about or supposed to knew what they talked about came along and said, here's the answer. And one thing after another doesn't work. And it seems like everything that you do to try to make things better only make it worse. And you reach the point of that last verse. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. It is possible even for us as Christians to be in situations where we feel like there is no hope. But I believe that in those moments, when all earthly hope has been taken away, there is always a hope that we can hold on to. There can be a renewed hope. So my prayer for you this morning through this message is that if you are in that situation, if you're at any point along this storm, from the moment that the ship sails out all the way to the moment at the end of the chapter when the ship crashes and wrecks on the rocks, at whatever point you are in, you will find your hope in the God that we have sung about this morning. In the God who has seen you through trials and troubles before. In the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. As we look at this story... We can learn a few important principles about storms and about hope. The first that I would draw quickly, and then I will get to some application here toward the end. The first is, is that the naysayers are not always right. Whenever we're in life, there are always those who know a little bit about everything. Have you ever met anybody like that? Don't look at the person sitting next to you. Husbands, don't look at your wives. Wives, don't look at your husbands. And sometimes the people who know the least 
are the ones that say the most. Ever met anybody like that? Y'all getting a little sheepish on me here. I'm getting a little concerned. When I was growing up, there was a man that um, knew, my family knew, and I'll be careful since we're live streaming, and I don't know who might see this, and um, I can have deniability <laughs> if anybody hears this story. I have to be careful using illustrations in this day and time, but he was one of these people that knew a little bit about everything. He was an, ex he, and he, he was an expert in his own mind. He was a legend in his own mind. He walked into the local Spit and Whittle Club one day, and the little coffee, a little cafe and gas station, and man, he had his chest puffed out. He said, I went by so-and-so's field, and he said, there was a flock of turkeys out in that field. And he said, I got out, and he said, I stalked right up on those turkeys. I walked right up on them. Well, I don't know if any of y'all know, if you've hunted turkeys, I don't claim to be an expert in turkey hunting, but I do know that if you're hunting turkeys, they're very hard to get anywhere close to. They see any motion at all, they're gone. So this great white hunter had stalked up on the turkeys. One of his friends got in his Jeep and drove down to the field, and he came back in a little bit, and he said, Lou, those weren't turkeys, those were turkey buzzards. <laughs> this expert at stalking had um, stalked the wrong birds. People who are experts... Do you notice what happens in this story back in chapter nine, uh, verse 9? When time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous, they'd been in port. Because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now, Paul has some travel experience. Paul knows he's been on ships, so he recognizes the pattern here. I believe also that Paul has a word from the Lord that this is going to be a dangerous cruise. This is not a luxury cruise. This is more like the three-hour tour that Gilligan and the skipper and the rest of them went on. This is going to end up with some problems. But he listens to the experts. You know that the experts are not always right. Let me say that again because some of y'all listen to experts. The experts are not always right. In fact, sometimes, they're, many times, they're wrong. You know, they say, you know what an expert is? X meaning used to be, spurt, something a little under high pressure. <laughs> the experts get it wrong, and they were wrong in this case. But there are times when we're in, a, we're, we're in these moments of our lives where we'll listen to other voices rather than to the voice of the Word of God that God has given here through His servant Paul for us in the Word of God. And we come into these moments and these situations and we listen to voices that are supposed to know what they're talking about. And we'll listen to them rather than we'll listen to God. We'll listen to the voices of our friends. We'll listen to the voices of our mind. We'll listen to our hearts. Not just the experts, but further down it says that the more of them wish to go. The majority of them wish to go. The majority is not always right. There are those who are doomsayers doom in our day. And if you listen to the majority, they would say there's no hope for the church. There's no hope for the cause of Christ. They will tell you, this is what's going to happen. As with the experts... The majority is not always right. 
Many times the majority has gotten it wrong. And yet we listen to these other voices. Be careful which voice you listen to when you're going through troubles and struggles in life and you're fighting those battles, you're going through the storms. We listen for the voice of God. One of our key principles as a church, key principles as your pastors, is we will not lead out of fear. We will lead listening to the voice of God. What does God say? We're not going to respond to every whim and every move of culture. We're not going to move out of fear of what will people think about us. We're concerned about what does God think about us? What does God have to say? What man says is not important. What God says is ultimately important. The promises of God, when you are in the situation you are in, there may be those who come to you and offer encouragement and say words of encouragement, and that's wonderful. And you may hear some other words that are not so encouraging, and that's not wonderful. But what the others are saying does not matter. What matters are the promises of God, and He has never failed on one. And He promises, He speaks through here, His servant Paul. Another truth that we would draw from this is, is that night is not forever. As they go through this storm, it progressively gets worse. It starts with, it starts with some uh, issues and the wind blowing and the storm, but it gradually gets worse and worse, and they do everything they can to the ship to try to save it. And it gets dark, and for days, he says, we haven't seen the sun or stars. It's completely dark. Do you know... If you've ever lived in a place where there wasn't a lot of light, and I've been blessed not to have lived in some of the places in this world where they only have a few hours of daylight, do you know that the depression and the drunkenness and the despair and the suicide rate in those areas is higher than the rest of the world? Why? Because they get, the darkness becomes oppressive. Can you imagine that for days they have not seen the light? They've not seen the sun or the stars and the wind is blowing and they know at any moment the ship could sink and they're in danger and the, the, the tension that has built and the stress that has built and their bodies are not, we're not wired to endure it for such a length of time and they are at their wit's end. There are times in our life when the darkness comes and it seems like it's not going to end. It seems like day after day and night after night it's dark and dark and then the discouragement the sets in and Finally, the despair, the distress sets in, and we reach the point where they are in this text that all hope is taken away, but it's not forever. Darkness, the night is not forever. There is coming a, a time, and there's a promise of God given through Paul where the angel stands beside him after Paul has fasted and prayed, and God sends a message, and he says, not one life is going to be lost. The ship will be lost, but not one life will be lost. The day is coming. I don't know where you are in your dark night of the soul, but I can assure you that the morning will come. God has promised. God's promised that He gives songs in the night. And I'm glad that, as Lamentations says, in a book dedicated to lament and woe and grief. God says His mercies are new every morning. The faithfulness of God, night is not forever. And then you get to the end of this chapter and we're reminded that shipwrecks are not fatal. Shipwrecks are not final. 
the shipwrecks, and they're all brought in safely, all make it in safely. And God has something else in store. With all this storm and with all this event, <laughs> Paul and the, and the rest of the crew are washed up on shore. And they, the, the, the inhabitants of the island gather around them to start a fire for them to dry out and warm up. <laughs> Paul goes over and he picks up a piece of wood to throw it on the fire. And you know what happens. There's a snake. I want to tell you, at that point, my faith would have been sorely tested. And so would some of yours. Paul stands there and the snake has bitten him on the hand. Paul very calmly, apparently, I don't understand that at all, but shakes his hand, the snake falls off, and Paul stands there. And the people of the island say, wow, how evil must this man be? He has been through this storm, and he has survived the storm, and then only to be bitten by a snake. And they stood back. I love this part. They stood back to watch what would happen. If y'all ever see me with a snake hanging off my hand, please don't just stand around and see what's going to happen. Because I assure you, you're probably not going to want to be near me if I can use that snake. I would, I would have beaten that snake to death over Luke's head if I had been Paul. And they stood back and they watched, and Paul doesn't drop dead, and they marvel. And God uses what Paul has just experienced for a door of opportunity for the gospel. I love that. I love that what God is doing in our lives is often for our benefit, is always for our benefit, but it's often for the benefit of others as well. Those around us who see what's taken place. Shipwrecks are not final. The shipwreck, and if people look, can you imagine Paul if he was a modern missionary? Can you imagine his next month's newsletter? And he tells and accounts all that he's been through. Most people would be saying, man, I'm pulling my funds from that guy. He's wasting it on ships and on Mediterranean cruises. He's been, all this stuff, surely he must not be right with God. And yet here's Paul in exactly where God wants him. Through the mistakes and errors of others that should have listened, God is bringing him to where he wants him to be for, the, for these people on this island to hear the gospel. Let me go through storms. Let me give you quickly three thoughts this morning. That was just the introduction, by the way. We'll be out about 12.30, 1 o'clock, somewhere along in there. The storms in our life, number one, will remind us of what's important. If we're going to have hope, if we're going to have renewed hope, we need to remember what's really important. I want you to see, watch this progression in verse 18. We being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. What did they do? They went around the ship and anything that was non-essential got thrown overboard. They threw it away. Why? Because they were deciding, look, here's, here's what's really important. Some of the things that we put our hope in, some of the things that we think are important are not as important, and it takes a storm for us to find that out. God has to strip away our hope in false things. God has to put us in that storm to strip away our hope in earthly things for us to find out our only hope is in Him. And so they start throwing these things over, but that doesn't help. The, storm, the ship's still in danger. Look in verse 32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat 
and let her fall. This is the large boat that they would have used that would have been potentially a means of escape. If the ship goes under, they have at least the the lifeboat, larger than probably a lifeboat, but it was used for getting into smaller places, getting cargo from places that the larger ship couldn't have gotten. They cut it off. Why? Because they're now realizing that some of the things that are essential and needed are not as important as other things like staying alive, like the ship being pulled under, like the soldiers leaving the ship, and everyone else being, or the sailors leaving the ship and everybody else being left there. They're deciding this is what's important. Look down to verse 38 one last time. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. They threw their food overboard. Now, this is not only something that's important. This is something that is essential to life. But they know that before they'll need to eat again, they need to get everything they can off that ship. They are are deciding, they are learning what their priorities are. Storms have a way of doing that. Troubles have a way of refining Problems and issues and battles and challenges, whatever we term we use for them, they have a way of refining our priorities, what is really important. So this morning, I want you to have hope, and I want you to have renewed hope in Christ, but I also want you to realize that as we go through these moments, don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss that God is thinning out the things in your life that maybe you're putting too much hope into. Well, we might, need that, we might need that boat if we're going to survive. We're going to need that food if we're going to survive. And all the things we think we must have in order to survive, God may strip that away for us to realize that's not what you really need to hope in. I suspect there may be somebody sitting here this morning who's going through such a time in your life. And you haven't got desperate enough yet. All hope has not been taken away, but that hope is in the wrong thing. God may have to use that storm to get you to the place that those hopes in false things are stripped away. And they have to throw these things overboard. Storms, if we're going to have renewed hope, we need to realize and be reminded of what's really important. Look in verse 23. Storms remind us of who we belong to. Paul stands up after a long abstinence, the Bible says, after fasting. Paul stood forth in the midst. He hasn't said anything. He's abstained. And he said, sirs, you should have hearkened to me. I love, I love Paul. That's as close as Paul comes to a sanctified, I told you so. Paul is the one that said, hey, you shouldn't have been on this ship. We shouldn't take this cruise. We shouldn't, we shouldn't sail. No, we're going to anyway. And the storm comes up, and they're all about to die. And at that moment... Paul steps up and says two really lovely things. I told you so. And then notice the second thing he says. Cheer up. Don't you just love people who come up to you in the worst times of your life and say, cheer up. It really just makes you want to punch them. In the love of Jesus, of course. But that's what Paul says. Be of good cheer. Now, if Paul was doing this on his own initiative, we might understand that kind of feeling. Paul's not saying that because Paul is being obnoxious. Paul is saying that because he has a word from the Lord for the moment. 
You should have hearkened to me, and this wouldn't have happened. Verse 22, now I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. I want to pause there a minute before we get to this next verse. Because I suspect at that moment there were probably several responses to Paul. One, there might have been some people on this ship that said, Really? In the midst of a storm, in the midst of about to lose our lives, you're going to get up and give a speech. Typical Baptist preacher. I'm more concerned about what's going on in my life. I don't have time to listen to a word from God. Do you see where we are in this storm, in this story? Sometimes we're like that. We're too busy. We're so caught up in what's going on. We're so caught up in trying to survive that we don't have time to hear a word from God. There might have been some on the ship that were a little annoyed and aggravated that he was having this I told you so attitude. We don't have time to listen to Paul. You don't know what you're talking about. Think, we're going to survive? We're going to live? Do you see this storm? Some people can't claim the promises of God because the storm in their mind is bigger than what they've placed their hope in. That's why hope is taken away because their hope is empty. It's a shell. And then there are probably those who said, you know what? This guy was right the first time. I'm going to believe what he says this time. And by faith they trusted and they all came to shore. I have to believe that there are those of us who will hear the word of God this morning. And that situation, that prayer need, that individual that we're concerned about, that burden we're carrying, we will have hope because we know what Paul says in this next verse. Do you see it? Please don't miss this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Whose I am. Who do you belong to? You don't belong to the storm. You don't belong to the enemy. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And in the middle of the storm, I can have hope because I'm His. And it doesn't matter how the storm turns out. It may end in a shipwreck. It may end in a moment when our lives are threatened. And it may end. In this instance, Paul knows he will survive. But there's another time in Paul's life when he doesn't know he will survive and he says, I will still trust God. Do you remember when it is? It's in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul is writing from prison and he says, I'm, I'm going to be delivered from this prison because of your prayers. And I may be delivered one way. I may walk out these doors alive. God may free me from this prison. Or I may die. But either way, I will be out of this prison. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it is better for me to go and be with Jesus. It's better for me to go and be with Him. You see, in this moment, in this place in our lives, whether it's in a storm where God has promised we will survive, or it's in a prison where we don't know what's going to happen, and that's where some of you are this morning. You had no promise of what will happen. At that moment, we have hope because we belong to God. We are His. Paul knew in that prison, Paul knew on this ship that he could have peace, that he could be at calm because of his hope 
and because of who he belonged to. Not only does it remind us of who we belong to, it reminds us of what God can do. Look in verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God. If you underline your Bibles, you might consider underlining those three words. I believe God. The storms in our life, the situations that some of you are in right now, where you feel like the hope has been taken away, it just seems so dark. There seems to be no end to the storm. You've not seen the light of day in weeks, and it doesn't seem to be letting up, and you wonder, will there ever be an end? It is at that moment, it is on a ship that is about to crash and is about to wreck, and all he has is the promise of God that he's going to survive, and so will everyone in that ship. All he has is the word of God. All he has is a promise from God, and he says, I believe God. When they sought to save the ship, they put out anchors. They thought they could steady the ship. They did what they could. There are anchors that we will try in this life that will not work. They will not anchor us. But there is one anchor that will hold when the storms are blowing and when the battles are raging and when we're going through all that life has to throw at us. When the darkness is there and the depression and the despair and we are ready to throw in the towel and we think there is no hope at all, our anchor is, I believe God. Paul says, God has said it and I believe it. It used to be a, an old song, and I, I know what we mean when we sang it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, I, I get the meaning of that song, but may I say something to you this morning? Cut off the end of that phrase and just simply say, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. I believe God. God said it. I can count on that. That's the assurance that we have. Where is your anchor this morning? Where is your hope? I believe that there are those who need some renewed hope. You've prayed about a situation, and it just seems like it's gone on and on. Some that have prayed for physical healing. Some that have prayed for God to work in the life of a loved one. Can we reach the point where we say, whether I get a promise from God or not, I will believe God. Whether God gets me out of this prison or not, I will believe God. Whether God gets me out of this storm or not, I will believe God. Do we trust Him that much? That's the anchor of our soul. This morning, maybe you are at a place in your life where you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your life has been so hopeless. Your life has seemed, seemed so empty. You've tried to find fulfillment in all sorts of places. Maybe you've found it in substance use and abuse, and maybe you found it in wrong relationships, and maybe you've even sought it in religion. I want you to know that none of that will bring you the hope. Those are false, empty hopes. There is only one place. There is only one person. 
in which we can find our hope, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our hope in life, and He will be our hope in death, and He will be our hope for all of eternity. Because whatever happens to me, whether I live or whether I die, as long as Christ be glorified, as long as Christ be magnified, I have a sure and steadfast hope in the person of Jesus Christ, and I believe God. Do you believe Him this morning? Jesus said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning you can trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you can find hope for your eternal soul. You can find hope for now. There may be others, Christians this morning, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but your response this morning needs to be, I want to find hope in my situation, and I don't want it to be hope in the things of this world. I want my deepest hope to be found in Christ. That I can trust Him regardless of the outcome of this situation in my life. Whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. Whether I live or die, I want Christ to be magnified. Whether God answers this prayer or lets me continue to suffer, whether He takes away this thorn in the flesh or He leaves it there for me to learn of His power, I believe God. Maybe this morning that's what you need to remind yourself of and you need to say to Him. In a moment we'll have an invitation, whatever God may be speaking to you about, whatever the burden on your heart, whatever needs you have, I'm glad we have a God who knows us, a God who we belong to. We have a God that we can trust.